0: This is episode 29 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Laura Hargis. Laura has been riding horses since she was about two years old. As a child, she didn't play with dolls. She played with briar horses. Laura started writing in 1990. Then, in 2008, her first story, A Frisian Christmas, came to her in the middle of the night. It's about a Frisian horse who pulls Santa's sleigh. She shared the story with friends and family every year at Christmas. Then in 2016, Laura had it illustrated and published so she could share her story with everyone. That was the start of the Horsey Holiday series. The second book, A Shetland Thanksgiving, is all about a Shetland pony who finds his forever girl on Thanksgiving. The story is actually based on a true story. The third book, A Belgian Valentine, is about a carriage horse in the big city, who decides to play matchmaker for his person. Laura is currently working on more of the Horsey Holiday series, as well as other writing projects. She is a member of Authors with Altitude, a fantastic group of writers who partner with each other to promote their books. Laura lives in Colorado with her husband, her Newfoundland pony, Maud, and her beagle, Belle. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. Today, I'm so excited to have fellow author Laura Harches on the show with me today. Hi, Laura. Hello, Carly. So glad to have you here. And I thought, you know, I always think a really great way to start these interviews off and and kick things off when we're talking about uh, what we're up to in life is to, to ask you about your love affair with horses. How is how that began? Well, we
1: like to joke in my family that my love affair with horses began the day I was born, because where I was born was in a hospital basically across the street from the Santa Anita racetrack. So the joke is the first words that I heard were, and they're off. Um, My father was into horses, and when I was very little, we lived in a regular subdivision, and I really wanted ponies or a pony. They asked where we would keep a pony, and I said, in the bathtub because I obviously wasn't going to use it what better place for a pony (laughs) Uh, we moved to property when I was four and I got my first pony and it's just been a love affair ever since
0: yeah I, I totally agree I think we are born innately with that love of horses and how neat that you were born right across from the Santa Anita racetrack I mean yeah that was pretty cool (laughs) It's very cool, and I love. And they're off, you know. That must be a guiding uh, message in your life, maybe. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I love that. Um, So you know, so currently you're a horse owner. We just had some fun uh, email exchanges because you've been up to something really exciting, and you're expecting a delivery today. So can you tell us a little bit about your furry friends, and then this exciting news that's that's happening for you today?
1: I am. Currently right now without a a horse here at the property. However, being delivered tonight at seven o'clock, I am getting my new pony. She is a very rare breed, Newfoundland pony. I actually flew up to Canada, up out of Toronto, uh, two weeks ago now to see her and see if we clicked, we did. And she's arriving tonight and I'm so thrilled.
0: Hey, That's so exciting. I, I'm, I'm so excited for you. And I will definitely share pictures. You have to share pictures of your new pony in the show notes. And have, does she have a name? What, what's her name?
1: Her name is Maude. Well, that's her barn name. Her full name is Deerfield's Wakeful Dawn. Mm. Um, somebody uh, decided, oh, I, I remember what it was. I asked her where they got Maude from. And she said, well, Dawn was a big haired country singer. (laughs) She didn't think that fit. Well, when she finally met the pony, she realized, oh wait, she is big haired, but not a country singer. So she decided Maud was better. And the trainer has been calling her Maudy. So
0: that's exciting. And uh why a new Newfoundland pony? That's a that is a very unique breed. It just happened to
1: be one that I found um because I was in a car accident about 10 years ago now. I can't ride anymore. The accident left several physical issues. Mostly it it destroyed my left foot and ankle. So getting up into a saddle, since you mount on the left side, is really hard for me. But because of the walk, the gait that I have now because of this bad uh, left foot and ankle, my hips are bad. And this past year, they've gotten so bad, every time I get on a horse, my hips go out. And I just, I can't deal with the pain anymore, but I can't deal without a pony either or without an equine friend, I should say. So I can drive, but I'm a timid driver. I am a brand new driver. Well, I shouldn't say brand new. I'm still a beginner driver. I've been driving for a couple of years now, off and on. And uh, I was looking for a well-trained, calm driving pony. and. I found Maddie. And it just so happens that the Newfoundlands are a very calm, very uh, loyal, great little pony. They're hardy, sturdy ponies because that's what they were raised to be. That's what they were bred to be out in Newfoundland. They Mm -hmm. had to be sturdy ponies to deal with everything that they dealt with in the Newfoundlands.
0: Wow, that I and I'm so sorry to hear about your accident. That is that is very sad when you can't you know get on a horse and enjoy something you love because of the pain. But I love how you've found something else to love and invite a horse into your life again, an equine friend into your life again. Because there is the emotional healing that you will experience having having her in your life and then learning to drive drive and and do that together. I think that this is going to be a really fun journey for you. So so. There's a bright spot, right? There's a bright spot after there is for you, and I'm so there hyped. is a bright spot. And congratulations on Maddie, that is so exciting! I can't wait to see pictures of her. And then, uh, and you also have another furry friend, is that right?
1: I do. I have my little bell, she's a that. beagle. <laughs> um, and yes, she rings. This is why we call her Bell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was gonna ask,
1: we had also talked about when we got her that being Belle from Beauty and the Beast, uh, that we should get a beast. So we thought about getting a big dog. Well, when I found the Newfoundland pony, my husband said, so is now the time to get a Newfoundland dog? Uh, <laughs> so we might be getting our beast. I'm not really sure.
0: <laughs> I love that. That is so perfect. And then maybe you can have your Beauty and your Beast jump up in the in the cart with you and, and go around the arena.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I would love to get Belle to get up in the cart with me, but she won't. I don't know what it is. I can't get her to stay in a, a wheelbarrow if I'm pushing it around. Or when I had a cart previously in a driving horse, I couldn't get her to get up into it. So... Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there's there's a project, I guess. There that. is
1: a project, yes.
0: <laughs> so you know this that, this is such a special way to start off the interview. I love hearing um, that you're bringing a, a new horse into your life, and that you have your furry friends, and you might be having a beast to to go along with Belle. That's you know our furry companions are so important to us, and I yes, think they are. they spur on our you know mental health, but also they're you know really inspiring for our writing, right? Which we're going to get into because we're going to start talking about your your books here in a few minutes, but I wanted to ask one more question on the top. Well, actually this kind of parallels both. Do you have any stories that people might find interesting about your, uh, your writing life or your horse background um, that you, know, you would like to share?
1: Well, in my books, uh, The Horsey Holidays, the second book in the series is A Shetland Thanksgiving. And there is actually a little bit of true story in that book. And it happened a long, long time ago. It was relayed to me by a friend of mine who was actually at auction looking for horses. And there were a whole lot of, unfortunately, kill buyers there that day. And I always get teary at this part because even when I read the book, to kids, I get teary over it. Um, Lots and lots of kill buyers. And a pony came through. And a little girl in the stands stood up and yelled, that's the one, daddy. That's the one I want. And there was dead silence. Nobody bit against her. All the kill buyers were silent. So she got her pony.
0: Oh, my gosh. I have goosebumps. That is so special.
1: And I incorporated that into the Shetland Thanksgiving.
0: Oh, that! thank you for sharing that story. I literally have goosebumps. And like, you know. Uh, the, the, the bad men actually had a moment of kindness, right? And I, I yeah. think special. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Uh, so, you know, I think that's like the perfect lead in. And and I, I think it's a very interesting point too. Like as fiction authors, uh, we take little pieces of life or stories we hear and we, we can incorporate them into our books because otherwise where do we write from? Right. You know, every little piece of what shows up in our books, even though a lot of it's made up, has like a moment or a thread where something similar might have run through our lives. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All of us, um, all of the authors that I have with me in my authors with altitude group, we all write from what we know.
0: Hmm.
1: So all of our books maybe don't have that, that little, that little nugget of truth but they do have that piece of us mm-hmm. that comes out in our writing.
0: I I, I love that. Um, I'm making a note over here to talk to you as we move on a little bit about your Authors of, of Altitude group. I'd love to hear more about that. Um, unless you just want to kind of get into that right now since you, since you did bring it up, because this sounds like a fantastic group where authors are uniting and supporting each other. In order to move their books forward. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that group and
1: how? Sure. Um, authors with Altitude, we put together this group with uh, several other friends who are also authors and self published. Mm. And we do, there's a, a big show here in Colorado the first weekend in November every year. It's the Colorado Country Christmas Gift Show. And we have a booth there. So we go with our books, so that people can come in, they can meet the authors, they can get books signed. And we've done that uh, four years now, Mm -hmm. and we will be doing it again next year. And we call ourselves Authors with Altitude because we all live in Colorado, so we all live at altitude. (laughs) And besides, it has that kind of twist to it of, you know, everybody says authors with attitude. We're like, well, yes, we do have attitude, but it's altitude. (laughs) I
0: love that. And that what what a great way to make an event work by partnering with other authors because I think the interesting thing about <clears throat> events is often these events, it's very expensive to get booth space. And what a lot of people I think don't know is when authors sell a book, they're really only making a couple dollars on each book they sell um, because of printing costs and, and everything that goes into it. So often when these booths booth or tables are so expensive at these At these events, we don't make enough back selling our books in order to recoup the cost of the table and then add profit. I mean I I think a lot of a lot of authors have shared that that's their experience. I've experienced that. So when you team up with a group of authors and you split that table or booth cost and then you're all there, which is even more exciting, right? Because you get to meet all these authors, but but it, it works, it works really well because those authors aren't your competition. They're actually, you know, lifting you up because they're Readers who might be interested in one thing will come to the table and then they might check out your book. So when we work together, it, it works, I think, in our favor. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it works in our group because when somebody comes into our booth, we each of us take turns standing at the front greeting people, bringing them in. One of the first things we say is, what are you interested in reading or who are you buying for? Mm. Since this is a big Christmas gift show so people are there to buy things for themselves but gifts for their family as well Mm -hmm. and so one of the things the first things we ask is what do you like to read or who are you buying for and then we go from there and they'll say you know well I really like science fiction oh then you're gonna love this author over here and we guide them over to those books and all of us have read each other's books so we can honestly say these books are fabulous. You're going to love them. As somebody comes in and says, well, you know, I've got a, a 10-year-old or I've got a 15-year-old who's really into horses. We say, oh, well, come on over here. These are the really good books that you're going to like. So it does help having all of us together. We can bring in more people because if it was just my books at the moment, while I had intended my books as a holiday coffee table book, everybody says, oh, you've got children's books. And I go, oh, yeah, okay, they're children's books. (laughs) But they're for an older child. Mm -hmm. You can start reading them to kids as long as they're willing to sit still and and listen young. And I've got a lot of people who have purchased my books and they've turned them into a a holiday tradition. Like the night before Christmas, they'll sit and read a Frisian Christmas to their kids or grandkids. But if I was trying to do that on my own, and you're right, the, the cost of a table is, especially this one, I'm the cost of those tables are $700 and up.
0: Oh, There's yeah. no
1: way I could afford that on my own or that right. these other authors could afford that on their own. But when we partner together, we've got that many more things in our booth to draw people in, that many more things for people to go, oh, look, I I may not be interested in that one thing here, but look at this over here. (laughs) So much fun to be at one of those expos where you get the same people that come back year after year and they come up to you and they go, oh my gosh, you're here again. Oh, I can't wait. What do you have new this year?
0: And it is such a
1: great feeling. We have so many fans that come back year after year Mm -hmm. and want to know what we've got or, oh, I've got this book. And it was so good, I want to get one for my niece, or I want to get one for my nephew, or oh, I have told everybody about this but It's really nice to have that group and that camaraderie, and then get to see how, our, how the other authors are doing when their fans come in, and oh, great, you've got a new book, let me have
0: it. Oh, I love that. It makes my heart so happy when authors unite. I, I think that that is so great, and a couple things that you mentioned uh, really stand out to me. It's like, if, one, you've all read each other's books, and you're supportive of each other, and you're leading people. To um, You ask smart questions when people approach the booth so you can guide them to the right place. The other thing I found really wise is that you attend year after year after year. So people get to know you and they can expect that you'll be there and then they're interested in buying your follow-up books. But the third thing that I really noticed that was re- is really important is that you are attending an event where you know people are interested in coming to purchase, like purchase gifts, yes. buy things. They, they, they are ready to buy because it's the holiday season and they're there looking for gifts. So, so you identified an event that is primed to be successful for you because people are in the mood to shop. And I think that that's a really important thing for authors to know when they're looking at events. Look for events that have a strong pull, from, you know, the local community, people are coming there, but also look for events where, where people are primed to shop. So that way, you know, you have a better chance of success and recouping your investment and then, you know, making a little income. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that everything that you said there is so true. Yeah. We're, we're back year after year. So the people know that we're there and they come looking for us. Uh, we're at a place where, yes, people are expecting to spend money. Mm-hmm. That's why they come. Mm -hmm. so it's just a matter of grabbing their attention before they've spent all their money at one of the other booths (laughs) there is uh, typically another author's group set up there Mm. but it is a I don't know that I'd call it a commercial group but it's a it's a paid group that you have to buy into Mm. and I, I had looked into joining that group but not only do you have to pay quite a bit of money to join into it, they have to approve you. Hmm. So it's, you know, fill out the application, pay your money, and well, we'll decide if we're going to take you or not. Hmm. And that just didn't sound like the place that I wanted to be. So while for the most part, yeah, we kind of approve people coming into authors with altitude, but we're not, it doesn't cost anything to be part of our group. And because we are all self-published, we are all about helping other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many people come into us in our booth and say, oh, you know, I always thought about doing that and uh, writing, publishing a book. How do I go about that? And we'll give them our card and say, you contact us, send us an email, whatever. We will help you through that. We are more than happy to, to help new people get started. It's not like we're going to go, oh, we don't want you there because, well, you're going to compete with us. No, we're <laughs> all about helping other authors get started.
0: Oh, I love that. And, you know, I, I have found that uh, in particular, with the independent uh, publishing group of authors, is that we're interested in helping others, and we're we're free with our advice, and and that's part of the reason why I started this this podcast. So we can learn from each other and support each other. Uh, I really love that, um, and it's a it's a cool community. But and even particularly if you get a little bit further down in, is like the horse people, the horse people yes. who are independently published really come together to support each other, and and. And I and I love that because equestrians just we have this bond that is um, automatically kind of there because we're horse owners. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. The horses bring people together more than any other critter. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I showed dogs for a short while, and boy, the you know the showing circuit for dogs is so cutthroat Mm. and there's nobody willing to help you out and everybody's just like no no my dog's the best but you get into a horse show situation and everybody's like oh my gosh do you need help with that can I help you I mean yes there are still those people are like no this is my you know but (laughs) you find less of those in the horse people because they realize what it takes to own a horse and deal with it not just the time but the money and the the commitment Mm -hmm. so when it gets to those people who are authors and equestrian authors we we get it we know what it takes so we're we're so willing to help everybody else
0: yes yes I I so love that so I'm excited we just like prime the pump for you to talk about your fabulous books I am so excited to talk about your books. so Let's start with you telling us about um, your Horsey Holiday Series, which I think is, is just so perfect. And I love how you already mentioned that people um, make it a tradition and bring these books out and, and read them to their children on Christmas. And you already told us a story about uh, the really moving um, story that's inside the Thanksgiving book. So, so tell us about the Horsey Holiday Series.
1: Well, the Horsey Holiday Series uh, started uh, five years ago now. And actually, it started a long time before that, because it was probably about 10 years ago that the first story of Frisian Christmas literally came to me in the middle of the night.
0: <laughs>
1: I woke up in the morning, and I went, oh, my gosh, I've got to write that down. And I wrote it down, and I had this story for quite a while. I was on a an email group back before Facebook and everything, that and it was a Frisian group. Every Christmas, I would repost that story and I'd say all right everybody here's my Christmas gift to you and I'd repost that story and everybody loved that story Mm -hmm. but at the time first of all I didn't know really anything about getting an illustrator for it and at the time uh 10 or so years ago self-publishing wasn't as easy to deal with as it is now Mm -hmm. so I didn't do it then about it was about five years ago Another friend of mine who's part of the Authors with Altitude, um, who, by the way, you're going to be interviewing in a couple of days. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She had self-published her first book. And I realized, because I hadn't really looked into it since that first time, that, wow, this is really a lot easier and safer knowing that you're actually the publisher and all they're doing is printing and, and putting it out there. It's mm-hmm. not those fly by night, you know, send us a bunch of money and we'll publish your book and mm-hmm. that be really worried whether or not you were being taken. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I started looking into it again and realized I can make this a reality. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at some of the uh, children's books illustrator sites and looking for illustrators. But because I didn't know what I was doing at the time and a couple of the illustrators that I contacted, I was always under the impression, I guess I always thought that if you went and got an illustrator, they just shared in the profits of the book. And most of the illustrators, you have to buy the illustrations and they'll, they'll do them. And then you own the illustrations, which is nice, but I didn't realize that. Hmm. And I went to actually a friend of mine in the Frisian world who is a fabulous illustrator well she's a fabulous artist she's not really an illustrator she does logos and barn um names and logos and things like that but she's really really good Mm -hmm. I went to her and talked about it and decided that even if I'm paying her logo fees it was worth it because a she was really really good and b she's a, a very well-known name in the Frisian world. Mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I, I wanted that for this first book. So as you go through the books, you can see the difference in the illustrations from the first book to the next three, because I did go with a different illustrator after that first book. I still think I have a really great illustrator now. It's She's just not the same style as the first book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but once I found that, and my husband just said, you know, you have always wanted to do this. You need to get this done. Let's, let's not worry about it. Let's just get it done. So I did. And that first year when A Frisian Christmas came out, of course, the Frisian people went nuts and they all wanted a copy. And it just was great to go, this is my book. Yeah. And that first time when I pulled it up on Amazon and I went, oh. Ah! look, that's me. That's my book. That was so thrilling.
0: Mm -hmm. There's nothing like holding your very first book for the very first time. I cried. I cried. I was oh, "Oh." because it's like, there's so much work that goes into it. I mean, not just from a creative standpoint, but from getting the formatting right, getting the illustrator involved, getting the spine right, like figuring out how, you know, you're going to write the the summary of the book, like getting it loaded into the system. I mean, there is like so much sweat and love and creativity and work that goes into getting a book complete. And, you know, I'm so excited for you. And then this sort of like spiraled into like an incredible series that's continuing to go. So like, so it started with the Frisian Christmas and you know, show us a couple of the books, you know, for people that are watching on YouTube so they can see the cover. I see them back there over your shoulder.
1: Yeah, and- I have the books back there.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I, unfortunately, I don't have a copy of a Shetland Thanksgiving back there, mm. which Shetland Thanksgiving was my second book. Mm-hmm. After I got that first book published or printed, I should say, and out there, I thought you know, this is kind of cool. I could keep doing this with other breeds. And I said, I will eventually have a holiday for every horse or a horse for every holiday. I'm not sure which way it's going to work out.
0: When am I getting a paint horse?
1: <laughs> well, that's kind of quarter horse because, you know, the, the paint is a that's breed. Right. I mean, as a color, not a breed. Um, although well, they do have the American Paint Horse Association, yeah, but it's, so it- it's
0: is a breed i know this was very confusing to me when i first got involved so it is a it's a color breed it's like right it's color a, breed it's like registering a palomino but both parents you're right have to be both parents have to be quarter horses and right. then that that is what gets you a paint. but because if both parents aren't quarter horses then it's a it, the color becomes a pinto it's very confusing but yes you're right it yeah. would be a quarter horse quarter horse one
1: <laughs> right and i haven't looked at going to the color breeds yet because mm-hmm. there is you, you said there's the palomino there's the buckskin there is the pinto mm-hmm. um i haven't looked at going that way yet never know uh so but the, got the one,
0: possibility that's fun right it is it is a
1: possibility so the second book was a shetland thanksgiving
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: and then i came up with a belgian valentine mm-hmm. so the shetland thanksgiving is all about a shetland pony who finds his forever girl on thanksgiving mm-hmm basically he is a pony ride pony in one of those pony ride things that you see at a fair or something yeah going around around in circles and his person all, all of the horses talk about their person they don't have names It's just that's my person he his uh person doesn't show up one day and Somebody else comes to feed them, but doesn't brush them and doesn't take them out. And slowly, one by one, all the other ponies go away. They get sold off, Mm -hmm. but not Patches, because Patches is the smallest. He's a little Shetland. So Patches ends up going to the auction. And yes, the little girl stands up and yells, that's the one daddy. Mm -hmm. But that happens to be an auction the day before Thanksgiving. And so he learns what Thanksgiving is all about and realizes that he has a lot to be thankful for. Oh, I love it. The second book is A Belgian Valentine, and it is all about a Belgian carriage horse who decides to play matchmaker for his person on Valentine's Day.
0: Oh.
1: And just because of the way the carriage horse industry is going right now and all of the issues that are going on, um, this book takes place in the big city I don't give it a name it's just in the big city this big city happens to have a very big park that the carriage (laughs) rides in there's no names in it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh and then the the last book that I have or the most recent that I have come out is a an Irish draft St. Patrick's Day and it is all about an Irish draft police horse who has to find a missing girl during the big St. Patrick's Day parade. And he gets the help of a little leprechaun. (laughs) All the books, the very beginning, I try to tell a little bit about the breed, where they started, why they were started. And then the rest of the book is pure fantasy. It's just my idea of what the horses would think out. They're all told from the horse's point of view. So you know what the horses would think about their people, their job, what they're doing sort of thing.
0: I love that. That is so awesome. And I love that it's told from the horse's point of view. I think that that's a a really neat way to tell the story. And then, so what's interesting, so it started with A Frisian Christmas, and then it just kind of went from there. And, you know, you decided to to go in the holiday vein. Was that purposeful in order to make it a series? Um, Or did, how did you decide to just, I'm going to run with horse holiday series?
1: Probably because of a Frisian Christmas, and deciding that, you know, I, I came up with something for a Frisian, a holiday for a Frisian, which was Christmas. That I would just try to come up with a holiday that matched the horses, um, such as an Irish draft, St Patrick's Day. What mm-hmm. what better horse for the St Patrick's Day?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've uh, got other horses and holidays in mind that actually have another book that's written, it's with the illustrator now, a Pertron Memorial Day. Oh, cool. And it's gonna be all about a Pertron horse who ends up being one of the horses who pulls the case on at Arlington National Cemetery. Oh, wow. So not only do I talk about the Pertron horse, what they were bred for, where they were originally bred, but I also get into a lot in this particular book about the 3rd Infantry of the Army, the full funeral procession when somebody is buried at Arlington and they get those, the, the full pr- procession, such as... Uh,
0: the folded flag and the shot, the the shot.
1: Right, they get the full uh, six horse case on, they get the 21 gun salute, they get everything. And it's, they have specific Rules for who gets that, and it's certain officers. There's a certain officer and above, they all get it. Uh, Heroes, anybody who has died in combat while overseas.
0: Mm.
1: There are several, so I get into a lot of that to really explain why that happens and what happens. And then at the end of that book, I've included a lot of information on the third infantry so that if anybody wants to go look up more, they can. Hmm. That might be the only book that gets into that much detail on what's going around behind it, but it all depends on what else comes up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you never know what the muse is going, where the muse is going to lead you. Right. But you've got to exactly. follow it because that, that's what's inspiring you to create. Right. So exactly.
1: Yeah. So I've got plans for a quarter horse, fourth,
0: of course, Ooh. you've got to have a
1: quarter horse for 4th of July.
0: I love that.
1: <laughs> uh, a mini Mardi Gras.
0: Oh, cute! <laughs>
1: somebody, somebody else came up with that idea and, and gave it to me, and I thought that's a fabulous idea having a mini for the Mardi Gras. Oh yeah, I've got a long-eared Easter planned.
0: With a, a mule or a donkey, both. Oh,
1: cute! I couldn't decide if the Easter should be a mule or if the Easter should be a donkey, because of course donkeys in Easter, well, they fit. As it was the donkey that brought Jesus down into uh, Jerusalem for the last mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. but mules are more horse donkeys are equines yes but mules are more horse and then I decided you know what this one's going to have a donkey a mule and a bunny
0: Aww, it's perfect so it'll be
1: all three and it and it will have some information on the Christian holiday the pagan holiday and and all of that together but that'll be one of the ones coming up uh, somebody else, somebody else who you're interviewing later today, mm-hmm. gave me the idea of an Arabian Halloween.
0: Mm. Oh, that's perfect because their costume classes and how they love to, to dress up their horses. Ah, oh, that's perfect.
1: Yep. So there'll be an Arabian Halloween. And I'm still trying to think, you know, about other horses and other holidays. And of course, now I have got to come up with a Newfoundland holiday.
0: Of course. Oh, well, you know what? Just having just having M- Maudie there is going to inspire something. You know they do. They the horses always inspire some
1: I just some have stories. to come up with the right holiday for. Her. Oh, and speaking of Newfoundland holidays, uh, that's another book that will be coming up is an Icelandic Yule Booka Flood.
0: Oh boy. That's a which That's is, a mouthful. <laughs>
1: it is. That is the Icelandic Holiday of the Yule Book Flood. Huh. It's where they give books on Christmas Eve to everybody.
0: Oh, well, I like that holiday. That's a fantastic holiday. <laughs> that's a perfect... Books and horses. Hey, there you go. I know. It's a, like my favorite things in the world and authors who write about them. Uh, uh, I love this. I mean, that's, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing with us like some of the topics that you brainstormed on to continue the series. And it sounds like you're having a lot of fun, but not only are you having fun telling a story, but you're educating younger people in the people, you know, the families about breeds, you know, about the history of holidays and, you know, what's going on. So it's like an educational, fun story that includes the history of the horse as well. It's like perfect. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit to your conversation. You were talking about illustration. So the first question that kind of popped up for me while you were talking about that is Are you sad you didn't continue using the same illustrator throughout? all the books or do you think that and will you continue using the second illustrator all the way all the way through the books for consistency like what are your thoughts on on that
1: i will probably continue using this illustrator that i have now
0: Mm -hmm.
1: one because she is really good and she she captures the feel of the horse that i want Mm -hmm. a lot of the illustrators like i said i had looked at the children's illustration websites and and looked at those, a lot of those illustrators, and I'm sure everybody does this, I had a a picture in my mind of what my illustrations needed to look like.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And a lot of those children illustrators, they're either too much on the comical side, or not even in the, the, the right form of what I think a horse should look like Mm -hmm. so the one that I have now she is absolutely fabulous she does pet portraits as well but she captures what I think my books need to look like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: the issue I do have with her she is not actually an illustrator she has other jobs and other duties and she shows her dogs she does uh the frisbee competitions just oh, hey. really cool so she's busy mm-hmm. and she does this when she can mm. so books are probably gonna be a lot slower in coming out. I had Frisian Christmas the next year, I had a Shetland Thanksgiving. The next year was a Belgian Valentine and then last year was an Irish Draft St. Patrick's Day. They're gonna be slower now because she is working full-time, she's doing other things. But after looking around more, I decided that I didn't wanna change illustrators again and change the look of the books. Which from the first to the second, yeah, there's a difference there, and you can see it, but it's not that big a deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I couldn't find anybody else that I really liked as well doing as well as she does.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it'll take longer for the books to come out, but I'm really happy with her, and I hope to that I can keep using her.
0: And that that's a really great point. You know, it's like when you have a story in your head and, and you're thinking of the illustrators to find that perfect fit, that perfect match it's not always easy. You have to do a, a lot of looking around to find the right person. And then when you find that right person, you have to stick with them. And, and even though you may have to wait, you, you feel like this is the right person for the job. So the, being an author also teaches you quite a bit of patience, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Uh, so if you, and then are there um, pictures throughout the entire book or, are there, or is it just coverage, cover imagery? There's pictures-
1: no, it's, it's full cover throughout the entire book.
0: Okay, so full, full illustration throughout the whole book.
1: Oh um, yeah, full, sorry, full <laughs> illustration throughout the entire book. Like, and Hang on just a second.
0: Oh, are you going to flip through for us? That, I think I would love that.
1: I'll grab this one because it's um, really good.
0: So those of you uh, not watching us on YouTube, Laura is holding up a freezing Christmas and she's showing us the illustrations inside the book, the beautiful illustrations. Okay where so
1: yeah, these are and it, all the books are the same. I have full color illustrations throughout the entire book, and of course, I get to the blank page at the end. Um, <laughs> so they're they're really great,
0: beautiful.
1: And so far it's been pretty interesting. I always get in each of the books there's one horse in each of the books that is kind of the, the salty either it's the, you know, the alpha mare or it's the horse that's not been not treated badly. I don't have any of the, you know, treated badly, but at least hasn't had the most love or whatever. So, you know, so you get the one horse that goes, well, why would you want to do that sort of thing (laughs) in, in all the books so far?
0: I love that. So as uh, an author who has written, I guess you're, you you want to call them coffee table books, but they're you know they also fit kind of this children's book description and uh, look. Um, what piece of advice would you give to someone who is authoring a book like yours, but then has to partner with an illustrator? What piece of advice would you offer to someone who is beginning to look for an illustrator?
1: art classes and learn how to do it yourself.
0: <laughs> I imagine that's probably a lot easier doing it yourself because there's so many uh, issues or in legalities of working with an illustrator like you know having to own that intellectual property a lot of people don't think about that like and in, in how you pay for them and you know I imagine you had to have a legal contract with your illustrator in order to use this person's artwork and then you have to credit them in, in the book and you know there's so many pieces to working with a secondary person on a book so
1: there is a lot of things to look at the way I have it set up is I am actually purchasing all of these pictures so all of the pictures and all of the books I then own afterwards I get the originals they're mine Mm -hmm. that isn't the way it always works Mm
0: -hmm.
1: sometimes it is you're using that illustrator's copyrighted work sometimes it is you're buying it all sometimes it's sharing it with that illustrator if you can work that sort of deal if I was a better artist I would have tried to do this myself I'm not that kind of artist Mm. find an illustrator or an artist that captures what your vision is don't let anybody else tell you what that vision should be And. If you're not happy with it, don't use it. Don't feel like you have to do it just because somebody came to you and said, oh no, this is what you need. Go with what your gut tells you. Go with what your heart tells you and what you want.
0: And then, so do you sort of audition illustrators before you pay for anything? Like how does that work? Cause it sounds like it can get a little expensive having to buy all these images, particularly because you have so many in your, in your books. Like,
1: It does get very expensive and that first book was very expensive but like I said she's not an illustrator she is an artist who does other things so I was paying that cost which to me was totally worth it for that book. The second illustrator I gave her kind of an idea of what I wanted. She'd done a lot of dogs and cats she'd never done horses so she gave me a picture that she had done I told her that the first book that she did was a Shetland Thanksgiving so I gave her the idea of what I wanted and she gave me a picture a headshot of a Shetland pony and I went that's perfect that's what I want in a horse mm. and it's just it's worked out great she does she goes oh I'm not really good at, at people I'm like you know what these books don't have a lot of people in them so that's fine
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she's fabulous with the horses and she she catches that character so well
0: well, that's really great. Okay. And then and then after you decide that she's a good fit, then you create like a contract and a price per photo sort of thing. And then you, you I imagine, you, did you work with a lawyer uh, around this or did you come up no. with it? A- we, we wrote up
1: the contract between the two of us. Mm-hmm. What I do is I go through the book and I have my idea of what each picture should look like, including the cover. Mm-hmm. I go through and I say, this is what I want. I want it to be a one page size or I want it to be a two page spread. And then she'll go through and give me a price on what she thinks that's going to be. Once we've agreed on a price and that's a price per illustration, it's not for the whole book, it's per illustration. Then what we do is we have in the contract uh, when payment will go through. So I pay her the first bunch of money when she sends me all of the pencil drawings she'll do up or charcoal pencil I'm not sure what exactly she uses but she she sends me all of just the drawings mm-hmm. and I will approve them or say no I kind of want this once those are approved I send her the money and then she starts working on full color illustrations and she sends them to me in groups And with each group, we do like either thirds or quarters, and then I pay as that goes along. And then when she sends me the last one, I pay her not just for the illustrations, but also scanning costs and time, and then shipping costs and time if she's got to actually ship them to me, Mm -hmm. the actual uh, illustrations she lives fairly close, so we can meet up and I can get them from her. But if she had to ship them, that's all included in the contract and the payment schedule.
0: Wow. And then and then so the formatting of the illustrations, once you have the illustrations, do you then do that and get them into the right format for putting into the book for then printing? Or does she does she also do that for you too?
1: No, I actually have another person who puts all that together and uploads it to the printer for me oh. and deals with all of that.
0: That's smart, because it sounds like it could be a little tricky. <laughs> it,
1: it is, and there are times that she'll have to come back once or twice and redo the upload to make sure that everything is right for what the printer needs.
0: Mm-hmm. And I noticed that they're they're hardcover, because you have mentioned that you're independently published, so I'm assuming that the the hard. The hardcovers are coming through yep. Ingram Spark. Correct.
1: Ingram Spark was the only one that would do hardcovers at the time that I was looking, mm-hmm. and I haven't gone back to look to see if anybody else does hardcovers now. I could do full color through. I guess they're not Create Space anymore, but um, KD-
0: KDP. Yeah, KDP yeah,
1: I could do full color through them, but it's not going to be a hardcover. And I wanted hardcover for my books. I mm-hmm. thought they would look better. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's more expensive and the cost of the book to sell is more expensive, but I think you're getting a really good book and something that's going to last for a long time.
0: Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And then so through Ingram, so did you upload separately to Ingram and KDP Amazon's arm, or did you just do everything through Ingram and then Ingram sends it over to Amazon?
1: Correct. Ingram Ingram does it all, sends it out. They Post everything out to Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. So mm-hmm. I get both of those. I don't, like KDP goes just to Amazon since that is Amazon's company. Right. Mine are actually on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com.
0: And it's smart to go the Ingram Spark route that way because you get the hardcover, but then also your book is available to bookstores and libraries because a lot of people don't know that a lot of bookstores and libraries aren't going to order from Amazon if your book is only available. There, So Ingram is a very a very smart choice. And I think you mentioned a couple of really great things as you were talking through sort of the process of getting getting your illustrated illustrations and books together is that Outsource what you know as an independent pu- uh, Publisher there comes a lot of responsibility, right? So and you want to release the very best product into the world to so do your research but also Find you know outsource and and find the very best people to help you create the best product. Yeah, you may have to pay a little bit upfront, but it's going to be worth it in the end when you have your final product. Like you like you said, you you got the right illustrator and you you paid for those pictures and you um, made an agreement where you own them, which is very important um, because you don't want to get any legal issues if you're you're doing something you shouldn't be doing with anyone's illustrations. But then also you outsource the formatting of your book to make sure the pictures and everything worked right because you were like "add hey, like if you don't want to figure it out outsourcing is a great way but sometimes you need to outsource as an independent author don't try and do everything yourself right
1: no. yeah definitely find somebody you trust find somebody that you know you can work with um and then i would i would highly recommend when you get a proof whether it comes from your formatter or you get that first printed proof from Ingram spark, go through it, read it out loud. Mm. I go through because I've read these so many times as I was writing them and I know it's supposed to be there. My brain just automatically goes in a Belgian Valentine. The formatter had accidentally copied a line twice. And I didn't see it. Mm mm-hmm. And even when I got that first printed copy for, uh, proof from Ingram Spark, you know, I opened them up. I looked at all the pictures, made sure they were in the right pages, that all the the formatting on the, the words were right in there. But I didn't go through and read it. So then I ordered twenty five books, and then I opened them up and I was reading it, and I went, "Oh, oh no!" So for me, anyway, I've learned that when I get the proof from my formatter. I have to sit down and very slowly read it out loud mm-hmm. because I found a couple of times that words have been reversed. There's something that I've done in the copy that I've sent to her, not anything that she's done other than that one double sentence. But that was my fault because I didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. And because you're the one doing all this yourself, do whatever it takes to make sure that you double check it and that it's right cuz it's a very expensive goof.
0: Oh yes, very very expensive goof. And and you know as authors we spend so much time with our work that we we really do stop seeing the whole, yes. you know, we know what's kind of happening. So it, we're, our brains just kind of skim through things. And, and that's right, you know, so there's opportunities to use, you know, a read it aloud yourself, because it's different when you read it out loud than when you're just reading it, you know, that way. Also, there's, you have access to beta readers, you know, have have family members read it, or, you know, have a couple select trusted few read it, and they catch things that you don't see. And then, you know, obviously, you can get a, a you know, spend a little money to have a copy editor and an editor, right, to go over these things before, because it is very expensive when you order these books, and then what did you do with the books that had the errors in them, you know, it's like, what can you do with them, you have 25 beautiful books that have an error, it's like, as authors, we kick ourselves when this happens, you know, we don't want our products out in the world with any errors, you know.
1: Right, but you can also use that as a, as a marketing opportunity. Mm. I get little kids anytime I have, it, whether it's in that booth at the country Christmas show or I've done little things here around town or at other little places and you see little kids come up you know and their eyes get real wide and and they because they love the horses and they love the color and it it's just they you can see them just loving the book and mom and dad's like you yeah, know I'm not going to spend that much for the book so I'll, I'll go to the little kid and I'll say you know if you can ignore this one issue because this one's got a problem in it I will give you this book for free. Aww,
0: that's lovely.
1: So I've I've actually given out almost all of the, the first 25 of the Belgian Thanksgiving now. And I have no issues handing that out. I let them know that there's an issue in it, mm-hmm. that it's got a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's like, I hate to say this, but it's like the drug dealer. Here, the first one's free. <laughs> get them get him to come back and buy more.
0: Well, that is the beauty of writing a series too, right? Or, or you know, having them all on a theme is that, you know, somebody picks up the first book and then they love it then they want of course the other ones. that's like just kind of the magic of of a series or a theme you know a theme series so correct smart marketing smart marketing Laura (laughs) I like it uh you know so so I always like to ask this question you know too in in the interviews like what for you has been the hardest thing about being an author and then on the flip side of that you know what's the best part of being an author
1: the best part is easy. The best part is seeing people's eyes light up or reading the reviews on Amazon Mm -hmm. and knowing that people like the book that I put out there. Mm -hmm. Um, The hardest part is probably just that, oh my gosh, are they going to like it? Is, is this okay? What, what are people going to think that that is to me, that's one of the hardest parts.
0: I, you know, I would agree with that. There is there is a small, not small, probably a ginormous amount of anxiety that goes into, uh, you know, releasing your book baby into the world because for people to, to love. But then for all, you know, there are people that it's not going to be for that are, you know, not going to be great about it. And it's it's just really, it's like a really, you have to get a thick skin, I think, in, in this business, because, you know, once it's out there, it's for others, it's no longer yours. And, uh, you know, that can be a little... Challenging, particularly on the first book. You, you, it gets better as you as you go along. But that first book, there's always like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> Will they absolutely? Like? Yeah, for sure. You never know. And, and I think that is that is so accurate. You know, so what? You know, I always like I like to ask this question too. Like, what Laura makes you feel like your very best self, or you know, what inspires it inspires you?
1: In just anything, or in writing?
0: I would say. Well, it could be anything really, but you know, maybe let's go with writing since it's been, you know, this is about writing and horses, right?
1: (laughs) What inspires me is stories and images that I hear and see around me. Things like the Shetland Thanksgiving being something that I worked around that true story that I, heard about from the auction um looking at the different breeds of horses and what could we do with each breed i i literally you know i'm one of those head in the cloud sort of people and live in a fantasy world most of the time so being able to put that down on paper helps it 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 really helps me to to focus on things and and do better in everything else.
0: I love that. And then so when these, you know, ideas come to you and, you know, often for me as an author, like the ideas come when I'm driving and I can't like write things down or when I'm, you know, out with the horses and, you know, so I always carry a journal with me to capture moments and, oh, they happen, it happens at night, right? So I hop up in the middle of the night and I, you know, wake up my husband and I'm writing things down furiously. Like what, when these wonderful daydreams well they're not daydreams they're create it's creativity that's what create being a creative yeah. is, is like you know you have ideas all the time that pop into your mind how do you capture those those moments of inspiration
1: that's the fun part because yeah most of the time they come to me when I'm driving or <laughs> in the shower out doing something else you know <laughs> I, I don't expect these books to ever support me th- fully. So I do have another daytime job. So when it's usually when I'm working or doing other things and an idea will come to me, a story idea. And I try to repeat it in my head enough times that when I get to the point that I can pull out my phone and I use the notes in the phone Mm -hmm. to put it down or I get onto a computer to where I can actually type down the story idea or the thoughts that I've had. That's the best I can do. And there's a lot of times that I'm sure I've I've gotten some pretty great little ideas that have flashed through my head that I've completely forgotten about because by the time I get someplace that I can write it down, it's gone or I don't even think about it again. So,
0: yeah, it's that's the other interesting thing too about you know being a creative is that you know the ideas come and you you have to grab them when they're there because they do disappear if you don't if you don't write them. I have like notes and sticky notes and pieces of paper are like all over the place like if you can see like I you know it's like I'm always writing the other thing too about writing it down I find is if you write it down a you capture the idea but b it's not up there like bugging you so you can move on to other things like the moment you capture something or write it down or even to-do lists if you write things down it's not rattling around in your brain it's on paper and you can come back to it and then it means you can focus and move on to something else would you agree with that absolutely absolutely and so you have told us so much awesome information in this interview i can't tell you how much i appreciate your time i wanted to ask you you know you've kind of listed like where you're taking the holiday series and what you're doing and you've talked about uh maddie coming home which i'm so excited for you and i wish you tons of success with her and and you know getting out there and driving and doing all that fun stuff what uh and you're up to a lot, right? But is there anything that you're curious about exploring that's like popping into your head be- beyond what we've already talked about? Like where do you see yourself going?
1: Well, I have been working on a couple of other books. Mm. Uh, I do have a story in Ghost Hunting Critters. Mm. And my story, of course, is a demon hunting donkey.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: It, he, can, he can freeze demons with his bray.
0: Oh, i love it
1: um but I, I have other ideas i am like i said i i live in the, my head's in the clouds i live in a fantasy world i absolutely love dragons you can see a little one wrapped around that tray mm-hmm. in the background there mm-hmm. so i'm working on a kind of a steampunk clockwork dragon story he's he's made out of gears and metal and leather he's not he is alive but he's not I want to say real because dragons aren't real well they are in my world (laughs) Uh, so there there is that um working towards more of the the sci-fi fantasy having a full novel
0: Ooh, neat I love that and then what what age group are you are you thinking for for these these projects that you have like the the donkey that breathes that that freezes thing sounds to me like it might be in the similar vein of the other books but the other one sounds like it might be going young adult adult it's yeah it's more
1: young adult for Mm -hmm. the the dragon um and actually the the ghost hunting critters is wide range it's calm enough that kids can read it and as a matter of fact I just got an email yesterday from somebody who bought ghost hunting critters last November for their daughter who just turned 10 and she was reading out loud to all of her friends at her birthday party all of us who put a story in it we all gave her a personal you know inscription and she was reading all that to her friends but she loves the story she's offered it to her other friends to read the stories and so it's good for all ages. But the, the dragon story is more young adult. Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds great. And, you know, it sounds to me like you have a very successful, long career ahead of you as an author of books because your ideas are so fruitful and you have so many and it's so great. And, you know, you're, you're bringing home a, a horse today, which is so exciting. Or a pony today. And I'm so excited about that for you. So as we're reaching the end of the interview here, uh, Laura, would you share with us where readers can get in touch with you and find your books?
1: You can find my books at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. I also do have a website. Uh, It's the older website at the moment, giftedwithwords.net, but we are, putting up and switching over to an all new website it's going to be authorswithaltitude.com cool so there is that and then on facebook there is an authors with altitude page and you can go there and see what we have local going on here in colorado you can get to know all of the authors that are part of the group and we do have a couple of artists that aren't authors on the group we have um one gentleman who works with metal does a lot of metal work. It does fabulous work. And then a lady who makes uh, bracelets, oh,
0: cool
1: leather bracelets with silver uh, pieces on them, horse-related, as well as some other kinds. But so we have a lot of things on there, not just authors,
0: but. Mm-hmm. And I will make sure, of course, to link to all those places in in the show notes, so people can get to you and your books quickly and you know I just I I love the message that you shared about uniting with other authors in you know in your area and in the work that you're doing together to support each other and your holiday horse your horsey holiday series is so cool and so fun and thank you for sharing so much great information with us today and um, being on the show I really appreciate it Laura well thank you
1: I appreciate being able to be here and and your enthusiasm (laughs) that just makes me feel so
0: great. Well, it's it's easy to be enthusiastic with, with someone who's so fun like yourself. And, you know, I, that's what I'm all about. Horses and people who write about them and, and supporting them and and helping each other learn, you know, it's so important. And I cannot wait to hear more about how your adventures with Maudie go. And congratulations. And I can't believe it's happening today that she's getting delivered. That is so exciting. And I got to talk with you on the day it's happening.
1: It is. It's so exciting. Um, unfortunately... I am also the mayor of the town that I live in, and I have a council meeting tonight. And she's going to be delivered during the council meeting.
0: Oh my goodness! So You're I'm going to be like, mayor? "Come on, guys,
1: hurry up! We're going home." I just nope, just gavel. We're done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, you've got, you've got quite a night ahead of you. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Well, I'm so looking forward to it. Oh, it's so exciting. Yeah, I can see you're gonna scurry home as fast as you can after that meeting. So yeah, just keep it right on track and be very straight in your communication and get that thing over so you can get home to your 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 new pony.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Okay, well I wish you the best of luck. Have a great time tonight. And and again, thank you for the gift of your time, Laura. (laughs) Thank
1: you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to CarlyCadeCreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at CarlyCadeCreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.